0: back to the neil haley show in the total celebrity segment and i'm excited to welcome the program tiara scoby and tiara is with two hearts how are you tiara and thanks for calling
1: yeah i'm great thanks for having me
0: absolutely i i was able to learn a lot about the film a couple months ago and just about this whole love story and the process to learn about that love story so kind of take us down the path of who your character is
1: yeah for sure um so two hearts you know, follows two couples. um I play Sam in one of the couples who's in a relationship with Chris. They meet in college um and it starts off as a very young, very you know fresh love then kind of navigating life in the world together and then through but yeah it's uh it's a really amazing character to play she's full of so much life and love and i think being able to tell her story um and honor what you know this woman went through and how it, this relationship changed the course of her life is was a really amazing experience for me
0: and that's probably why again in, in the conversation that you, the of your character is that she went through a lot but you really can't see say how much she's gone through until you see the film and that's okay But I mean, in a lot of ways, preparing yourself for this role. How did you prepare?
1: I, you know, it's, it's one of those roles that's a bit hard to prepare for. And I think what I really did was I trusted the writing and I trusted the people I was working with. And for me, more than anything, I just really put myself in the shoes of these people and what they went through, because this happened to them and this was their life. And I wanted to honor that and do it justice. So I just, you know, I tried as hard as I could to imagine what it would be like for me if I if I was really in Sam's shoes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, definitely, and that's in the process and understanding specifically life and what life's about and love and, and, in a way, you've not had a character like this, have you, in your career?
1: Um, no, no. I feel like most recently my role on Dirty John was maybe it was one of the other times I played a real life character and, and, and told the story of something that happened to a woman it was also a relationship story and also with an unfortunate ending <laughs> but comes you know kind of um, kind of different circumstances but uh, I definitely think that you know playing a real character adds this levity to everything that you do
0: and what do you what do you think of working with the entire cast and the, the story in general what are your thoughts
1: Working with the entire cast was amazing. It was, I didn't, I, I a majority of my stuff was with Jacob. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to work with Radar and Aiden as much um, because it was almost as if we were filming, you know, two kind of separate movies until they kind of segue and cross in the end. But um, no, it was amazing. It was, we had so much fun. We filmed most of it in Vancouver. Where I'm from which was awesome and then we actually have to go to Hawaii and film a portion of it which was just a very incredible experience
0: and as you, as you've heard from the director and everyone this story has been a lifelong journey to get this made this movie so I'm sure you're excited yeah. to see it out there too for the work that the entire team has put into it to finally have it finally come out uh, next week totally I mean, I mean
1: yeah for us we filmed it two years ago so i'm i'm so excited for the world to finally see it i feel like people are sick of me being like it's coming trust me it's coming so now it's it's finally almost here and i'm I'm so excited for people to be able to go and see
0: it yeah and, that, and that's that's the thing and i'm sh- and i'm sure that you're hoping that we're back to normal at one point that you know it's good that what theaters are doing but i can't wait to that theater experience really comes back again I'm i'm keeping my fingers crossed right
1: yes me too it'll happen it, it, it has to everything everything eventually I feel like will settle to a new normal but I hope that theaters and sharing experiences like that will um, be something that comes back into our lives
0: and then how much have you had in, in your challenges of this of COVID-19 and dealing with it how have you kind of changed as a person specifically the way acting has changed the way work that you thought would be happening and how interactive to be able to interact with other people, how's that changed your life?
1: You know, it's been a real, it's been a real um, testament to patience, I think, for everybody during this time. Just taking it one day at a time, one step at a time, through all the unknown, which I know is so hard for so many people, including myself. I think, you know, just just finding things, you know, the day to day that bring you little bits of happiness and, and peace through all the confusion and for me you know I don't get a ton of time where both me my sister and my parents are all in the same city not doing anything other than like Christmas but for us to actually have this time to spend some quality time with each other without any work or anything coming up was kind of a unique experience for us as a family because you know my sister's in the industry as well and it's just always a whirlwind but it, yeah no it, it's it was just about trying to practice my patience as much as I could and not get ahead of
0: myself. That's great. And, uh, best place we can connect again. The film comes out, uh, the second week in October, I think October 15th. Is that correct? Am I right on the date for the release? Sixth,
1: I think it's the 16th,
0: 16th, October 16th. Everyone could check out the film. Two hearts uh just googling it's all over the place trust me and uh, i'm looking forward to hopefully i get the opportunity to, to see this before it comes in the theaters i'll have to ask for sure because again i've heard the story spoke to the director learned so much about this story and again it you can't tell us in this interview except hey you love uh Tierra's work then you got to go and uh check the film out and especially with the great Cast that she has, and a great story, but we just can't give that story away. It's almost like a book in so many ways, right? You can't really say much, Absolutely. or or it spoils it. So people need to go check out the film and uh, think about love again, especially with all the challenges. So yes. I appreciate you coming by. Thanks again. Yeah,
1: no problem. Thank
0: Take you. care. You see you. Bye bye. You listen, Neil Haley's show. And we'll be you. back, bye. and you're welcome. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment. <music> Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K 12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited to welcome to the program, Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? How's your leg? Are you walking yet? What's going on on all this?
2: Yes, 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 and yes. I'm doing great. Thank you for the questions. Uh, and uh, this is our first uh, cool day out here in Southern California. No more 100-degree days. And the election's coming up, so we know COVID-19 is going to just disappear when that happens. I don't so, think so.
0: Good. I, agree. I say five, more years. I'm being really, see, what? Samantha's being so positive. And I thought Samantha was like 25 the way she interacts. But our guest today is a child actress and an actor, uh, Samantha Autry. Samantha, thanks for stopping by. And you know, it's funny, Samantha, when I, you're talking to me, you're holding a conversation and you're only 18. And I'm like asking all these kind of, and you're being so positive, I guess because you're young, you could be positive, right? Uh, Dave and not, I have gone through everything. Really. and you, co- COVID is a little bit well, you know, your life's shorter. So you, COVID's become a a part of your life for about six, seven months of your 18 years. So us getting this is like our memories of times to think about this. It's like, wow. And so how have you survived the pandemic so far?
3: Well, uh, (laughs) I've survived, uh, I've thrived. And you know, the thing is too, it does affect the younger generation. I know myself, I mean, I had a virtual graduation, which wasn't great. So, uh, that was a part of COVID that was very depressing. Honestly, I did not enjoy that part. So uh, I found though to be positive, like when people say, oh, how was your senior year? How was, you know, and they think of it like, oh, 2020 has been like the worst year ever, right? Well, I try and think back to, well, you know, I had a really great senior year. I got to do a lot of things through my school. My PE was horseback riding, which I mean, how many kids get to do that? That's amazing. So. I actually had a really great senior year and that's what I'm trying to focus on. I'm trying to focus on the positives that I have. I mean, trust me, there's a lot of negatives we could go into about, you know, yeah,
0: 20- you don't, you don't give me all I your miss problems.
3: Disneyland. You're, you're I want them to, to open.
0: <laughs> you're sitting, so, your mom's like being positive in the background as we, I got to have a nice little conversation with her before going on air as well. So I understand this. I have six kids and when we're cut off. Samantha, I understand my kids are sick of this and they're ready to go. So when I'm hearing all this positivity, I'm like, Okay, you're being very positive about this, and then that's good. I am positive too, but yeah. Dave's the most positive. <laughs> well, today, I bet you're 3rd, too. I mean, you have six but being in California, you guys have to be positive because your restrictions are a little bit more than Pennsylvania, even though at part at times we're restricted. So, Dave, go ahead and ask your first question for Samantha. Well,
2: Samantha, I'm I'm amazed at how young you were when you started, and uh, tell me what it's like uh, working for Disney. I mean, you were almost a musketeer, but uh, I'm sure that's you, the newest version of that. Uh, what is that called? Choo-choo uh, soul videos.
3: Explain yeah. that. So they're, they were these little, I'm pretty sure they're still on, uh, they were these little videos in between like episodes of like, you know, kid shows, and they were like two to three minutes. Essentially, they took up the time of like a commercial which was really fun. And it being my first job, I actually got into acting because I was incredibly shy. I mean, I would hide behind my mother's back every time she would introduce me to someone. I mean, it was awful. So I got into acting because I was so shy and it really brought me out of my shyness. But you could still see sometimes in the videos when I'm getting a little like nervous or shy. So...
2: Don't feel bad. I'm I'm an introvert by heart. And a lot of people don't believe that because I had to learn how to be out there and how to be act like an extrovert. But it takes a lot of energy.
3: Oh, well, there are things that are scary. I mean, you know, people say, oh, you're an adult now. But I still have my mom help me with like medical things and like grown up stuff because I'm like, how does this work? (laughs) You know, scary sometimes
0: so let's kind of you know talk about that experience so explain the popularity that time because again i wasn't into disney and all that stuff when you were doing that how that experience changed you in certain ways to lead you into the next level in acting well
3: once i actually got out of my house, i wasn't scared anymore of like meeting new people and meeting you know strangers and being in front of a camera when Uh, I was put in front of a camera, I grew to love it. I learned the craft. I loved learning about, like, different characters. And my great love with acting is that I can play whoever, you know, whatever the role is. I can be that person, for example, if I'm playing a bully. You know, I can be a bully on the screen, but then I come home and I'm just normal me. I'm just normal Sammy. I'm not a mean person.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you kind of get into a character, uh, what do they call that, Neil, when when uh, they they pigeonhole you into a character like Fonzie. It was really hard for him to get a dramatic actor uh, job after he was, you know, the Fonz on Happy Days.
0: Exactly. So in, so in talking more about, you know, S- Samantha, the experience, I was going more into Disney. What did you learn from that experience that led you into the other opportunities in acting?
3: It helped me really learn my uh, castmates, my team members. It really helped me to learn how to work with a team. So, like, I was on the set for Choo Choo Soul. The uh, adults in that were Genevieve Goings and DC. And they really, they were a big part of helping bring me out of my shyness. But they really helped me, myself, and, like, the other kids that were on set there to really work Together, and so that really taught me how to work as a team with not just the cast but also the crew. You know, a director tells you, "Oh, look this way, look that way," and you listen and you learn.
2: Yeah. So, are all the uh, kids that you were working with are they all kind of back and working today?
3: I'm not sure. I actually didn't keep in touch with uh-huh. most of the kids, but yeah, they they should all be adults, and some, you know, probably took the course of acting and maybe some went to college who knows
0: <laughs> so the experience after
2: but it, that- it was a fun experience after- i'm sorry it was a fun experience working with disney
0: uh, probably uh people envy you
3: oh gosh i don't know about that but it sure was fun for me
0: so after that experience yeah. what were your next experiences in acting after that experience with disney? my
3: next job my next job after that was jane seymour's natural advantage infomercials by guthy Ranker, where i was uh I played the family child in one of the infomercials. And then after that, I was on the Jay Leno show for uh, one of the skits. I think they called it like JMZ or something. And I had the privilege of working with Miss Cheryl Hines.
0: Wow. I'm impressed. So got <laughs> the whole Jay Leno, how did you get that opportunity to go on Jay I
3: got the opportunity through my union, AFTRA, before they merged with SAG.
0: Yeah.
2: What, what's it like a child actor going to school and how did the kids treat you? Did your old friendships continue or did they think that you were too, you know, uppity or did they feel too insecure to hang out with you? I mean, tell me about that whole school thing vibe going on.
3: Well, my personal experience isn't everyone's, you know, personal experience. Sure. I was in public school from first to third grade and I experienced a lot of bullying, actually, because of my career.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: So, like, if I was called out of the office just for, like, you know, a dental appointment or something like that, people would say, people would, you know, kids would mock me and say, oh, she's going out for an audition, and it would be gossip. And I actually didn't even really have a lot of friends in public school
1: because it,
3: yeah, jealousy, and they were kind of, like, backstabber kind of friends. So, for me personally, it wasn't very fun. But uh, then... In fourth grade, I asked my mom to homeschool me, and totally different type of experience. The kids there, in fact, most of the kids that I've been on the set with are homeschooled, and so they completely get it. They understand. They partner with you instead of against you.
2: So it's a homeschool group. It's not just like you and your mom at home, right?
3: Yeah, no, no. I'm not, you know, locked in a room all by myself for eight (laughs) hours a day. No, no. I get social (laughs)
0: interactions, Except except said except during COVID, right? Where you almost are lost. Yeah,
3: right.
2: Yeah, exactly. Almost. So have you healed from all of your emotional scars from uh, first, second, and third grade? I have,
3: yeah. I've oh. forgiven, you know, it took years
2: of therapy, right?
3: I'm sorry.
2: It took years of therapy, right? Oh. <laughs>
0: It's just oh, hard for you. It's hard Thank to just you. deal with those things and people when they are jealous of you, they make fun of you, and you know, and all those different things. In school, it just what do you are you going to go to college? Or do you have a plan going to college?
3: No, I was considering going to college to be a microbiologist. However, uh, acting is my career. It's not like something I want to do. It's just essentially I'm going right back to work. But you know, with COVID happening. That, you know, stopped it. But no, I wanted to go to college, but I felt I heard from the Lord that, you know, no, this is the path you're supposed to take. You're supposed to be acting.
2: Yes. Always listen to that still small voice in your ear. It knows what it's talking about because it's usually God. Good for you.
0: Thank you. And so why do you love acting so much? Because again, you said you talked microbiology because I said, okay, I was a child actor. It's time for me to go to college and then kind of maybe think about this in another time.
3: There's many reasons why I love acting. Like how I said earlier, I can be whoever I wanna be that day for whatever character I can be. And I love the craft too, like method acting. I really love the craft of method acting because, uh, for example, like with historical figures like Daniel Day-Lewis with uh, Lincoln when he played Abraham Lincoln, he got as close as possible to that character. And that's what I love about acting. You can get as close to a character as you possibly can, whether that's historical or fictional. Fictional characters, you have a little more like leeway. You can kind of create them into what you want them to be. So that's really fun. And like as an artistic person, I can put so much character into the character.
2: Yeah. Uh, were your parents very supportive or were they like your agents or did they tell you to go get a real job like a microbiologist? Tell <laughs> about that.
3: No, actually, my parents were very supportive of me. They're the ones that uh, put me in acting because I was so shy at first. And then, you know, once I decided to take that path and do acting as my career, my parents were completely supportive of me. They, you know, my mom has driven me for 18 years to and from work, to and from auditions. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I owe her uh, a lot of gas money.
2: <laughs> pay her dues and you'll have to take care of her in her old age now and change her diaper. Oh,
0: no. her. <laughs> gave you'll have to the camera right now and she might could say hello at the end of the interview. We'll see if she wants to. Yeah. But <laughs> what projects have you worked on? Oh, gosh.
3: I worked on a number of things, some things I can't even remember. My mom's like, remember when you worked on this or that? And I'm like, no, <laughs> So I was also on family game night. I was on, let me see how we live. Uh, I'm sorry. See, see what I mean? I work on so much. I can't even remember. Okay. Uh, Toyota Tundra commercial. Um, quite a few things. So
0: the question I wanted to ask you, um, what, what are your plans now? So you're 18. What, what, uh, types of roles are you looking at?
3: comedic roles, dramatic roles. I love the crown. I am very excited for season four. So that okay. gives you kind of an idea of the type of roles I like.
0: No, I, yeah. so you like the crown so you can sit through that. You show your maturity, right? Cause the, yeah. season, I was a huge fan of the crown. And then my wife couldn't get into it the second and third, but I liked it because I'm a, I'm a history buff. That's why I like yeah. the show so much. And isn't it weird to see the characters change, right? The old, it was yeah, where they have to have someone else play somebody else because yeah. of the age, how they age so much. Winston Churchill was one of the most interesting characters. There we go. You, I said Winston Churchill was one of the most interesting characters. Wouldn't you agree?
3: It, yeah, definitely. And also Claire Foy. Oh, my gosh. The way she embodied the queen, her majesty, uh, was amazing, incredible. I was so in awe.
2: So let me talk about comedy because you say, you know, you want to do sitcom uh, and you say you're shy and introverted. Have you ever considered uh, improv? I did that one time and it's, it was the scariest thing I ever did as an introvert, but you know what? I am so much more powerful now and, and I have a better sense of humor trying to make people laugh is the scariest thing in the world. And the second is, um, is your career uh, to a point where, you know, it's kind of lucrative. You don't have to (laughs) wait tables at Starbucks uh, while you're, uh, in between gigs and stuff like that. Like 90% of actors have to. Mm.
3: Well, to answer your first question, yes, I would definitely consider improv. And I agree okay. with you. Sometimes it can be scary. You're like, are they going to laugh? When are they going to laugh? Why are <laughs> they laughing? So yeah, I would consider improv. I enjoy doing improv, but yeah, like you said, it's like, or like when someone's supposed to cut you off on a line and then right. you have to keep going and they're like, why aren't you cutting me off yet? (laughs) So I would, yeah, I love improv. I enjoy doing that in acting classes too. And to your second question, uh, no, I have been provided for, I've also with working as a young actor, I have had plenty of roles and plenty of jobs to
2: keep me. Uh, I'm a caregiver. They call me caregiver day because my wife had a stroke 24 years ago, lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And that would normally knock a lot of people out, but she's a very special person. And we fought through the depression and the, the, you know, the grief process for a couple of years, almost broke up, but we hung in there, we reinvented ourselves. And now we travel the country, just talking to other caregivers because 30% of caregivers die before their loved ones do. I know you're very young, but maybe you've seen some grandparents, uh, you know, that have health issues. Maybe a grandfather was taking care of grandmother and it was really hard. Uh, How has caregiving touched your life or has it yet?
3: Well, caregiving has touched my life in a very personal way. My uh, Mm. father passed away of cancer in 2010. So I watched my mother go through the caregiver process firsthand. Sorry. I'm sorry.
2: He must have been young.
3: He was. He was young. He wasn't even. I'm so sorry. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um,
2: but you saw how, how it took its toll on her I'm
3: assuming. Oh, definitely. yeah, I've, not just her. I mean I've seen it in other people's life. Uh, Stephen Hawking's ex-wife oh, was yeah. caregiver. I mean, I saw it through that and my grandmother, she just went through COVID. she had COVID, she's 85. Uh-huh. So I've seen the caregivers that and like our, uh, our first responders and our health care workers that have care given and cared for all of these people, and like my grandmother, and they don't even know a person maybe. So I've seen a lot of caregivers in my life.
2: Yeah, that's why I created my website, caregiverdave.com, to give support to the caregivers because a lot of them become sicker, become uh, hospitalized. Now they need a caregiver of their own, and like I said, 30% of them die before their loved ones do. So anyone who you meet in the future, just send them my way, caregiverdave.com, and we'll try to keep them alive.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not just the physical, it's the mental, too. Of, of course. caregiving for someone. Of some course. Kids.
2: The stress. It's the stress that kills, yeah.
3: yeah. Well, it's because, like, the caregiver has to suppress their own emotions to essentially, like, keep everything together and keep everything together th- for the family. I know that my mom, you know, bra- put on a brave face every day. To She was the helm of our ship, our family ship, and she did an amazing job at it.
2: Sure. You know, the biggest advice that I give to people is, Put your oxygen mask on first, so, so you know, before you help your level with their mask. Otherwise, you're going to both go down and just listen to the airlines.
3: Yeah, right. I say that to people, too. You know what they say. Put yours on first. And then, yeah.
2: Instead of tuning
0: them out every time I go on a plane. Exactly. All right. Well, <laughs> Sam, great talking asked, to you. So, Sam Smith, what I was trying to say is where can we find more information on you?
3: Well, I am on uh, social media. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I'm also on IMDb. All of them are Sammy Autry, S A M I A U T R Y. I go by Samantha, but I got my accounts when I used to go by Sammy. My family calls me Sammy. So that's where you can find more about myself.
0: And you're waiting to hear after COVID when shooting and you start doing some new projects, right? Things yeah. you can't say yet, right? So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of auditions, right, on Zoom, right? That's what they're doing. A lot, right a
3: lot of self-taping for auditions, let me tell you.
2: <laughs> you know, Sam, everyone, every girl that I've ever met whose name was Samantha was named that way because of Bewitched, the show. They they named no, you. No, no. Did that happen I, in your case?
3: No, actually, my name came from the biblical name Samuel, which means here's her. Ah. Yeah. Who is that? Very cool. I'm very happy with my name.
2: (laughs) My advice, uh, always put God first in your life and always ask him if you should do this or that. And you'll be happy like me when uh, at the ripe
0: age of 66.
3: I do. I always put him first. I always ask him for his advice.
0: All right. Well, Well, God bless you. I appreciate you coming by. Thanks again. And thank mom for setting up the interview as well. Thanks, mom. As she's saying,
3: "She's over here. She's saying thank you, yeah, <laughs>
0: guys.' Appreciate see what she looks like. She's going to chop in and say hi, or not? No, she's
3: already, she's already out of frame. She's already in the other room. <laughs>
0: right. Okay, well, okay. An That's an great. Say also. hi to say hi to Samantha's mom, and we'll see you soon, <laughs> Samantha. Thanks for stopping by.
3: Thank you, gentlemen. Right. Nice All right to see it. you. I right,
0: see it. Thanks. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. All right, guys. That was the Neil Haley Show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom From Addiction, Truth Just Below the Service, and The Neil Haley Show on all syndicated channels across the country and also on Lipson. And I'm excited to welcome to the program, Reverend Wyn Henderson, MD. When, how are you? You're going to give us some important facts about COVID-19, and especially when how many weeks have we been uh, in quarantine for?
4: Gee, it depends on the state, I guess. Uh, but one of the important facts is that quarantining
0: is not the way to go.
4: But we'll get into that.
0: All right. All right. Perfect. Perfect. I'm looking forward to the, t- uh, the facts.
4: Okay. Well, uh, Neil, thanks for the simulcast. And as you know, my mission is to help people with content that I find uh, below the surface that will help them with their lives. And in this time of COVID, uh, we're spending a lot of time digging out things about COVID that the average person doesn't know and perhaps has never heard. So this is going to be uh, an interesting program. I'm going to give you a bunch of facts, and uh, I'm ready to start. Are
0: you? Yes, I'm ready. Let's
4: hear it. Okay. According to the latest immunological studies, the overall lethality or death rate of COVID-19 in the general population runs between 0.1% and 0.5%. That's very low. In most countries, which is comparable to the medium influenza pandemics of 57 and 68 so we're not talking about something that's really different in in death rates from influenza but the media is spinning it that way okay next for people at high risk or high exposure including healthcare workers early and and that's the treatment uh, that you have to do is early treatment is essential to prevent progression of the disease hospitalization and everything that happens after that so you want to jump right on it as soon as you have a positive test or you have COVID symptoms now next in countries like the UK which had a lockdown and Sweden which did not have a lockdown overall mortality or death rate since the beginning of the year, is in the range of a strong influenza season. Mortality is higher in the USA compared to 57 and 68, but lower in countries like Germany and Switzerland. However, antibody values are still low in large parts of previously locked down Europe. Okay. In most places, the risk of death or the healthy general population of school and working age people, is comparable to their daily car ride to work. The risk was initially overestimated because many people with only mild or no symptoms were not taken into account. Next, about 80% of all people develop only mild or no symptoms. And even among 70 to 79 year olds, About 60%, six out of 10, develop only mild symptoms. About 95% of all people develop at most moderate symptoms and do not require hospitalization. Next point, up to 60% of all people may already have a partial T-cell immune response against the new coronavirus due to contact with previous coronaviruses, uh, cold viruses. Moreover, up to 60% of children and about 6% of adults may already have cross-reactive antibodies. Next, the median age of COVID deaths in most Western countries is over 80 years. 84 in Sweden and Only about 4% of the deceased had no serious preconditions. In contrast to flu pandemics, the age and risk profiles of death thus essentially corresponds to normal mortality, because, you know, people in their 80s and above, they die at a higher rate than the rest of us. Right. In many countries, up to two-thirds of all the extra deaths occur in nursing homes because they don't benefit from a general lockdown. Moreover, in many cases, it is not clear whether these people really died from COVID-19 or from weeks of extreme stress and isolation because the suicide rate in lockdowns is going up and in some cases is higher than the death rate from COVID that it's trying to prevent. Up to 30% of all additional deaths may have been caused not by COVID-19, but by the effects of this lockdown, panic and fear. For example, the treatment of heart attacks and strokes decreased, went down up to 40%, because many patients dare not go to the hospital. So the the lockdown is causing uh, increased deaths in other areas other than COVID-19. Many reports of young healthy people dying from COVID-19 turned out to be false because many of these young people did not die from COVID-19. They had already been seriously ill like for example undiagnosed leukemia or they were in fact 109 instead of nine years old that's a fact that was reported the claimed increase in kawasaki disease in children also turned out to be exaggerated most covid-19 symptoms can also be caused by severe influenza including pneumonia thrombosis and temporary loss of the sense of taste and smell but With severe COVID-19, these symptoms indeed are much more frequent and more pronounced. Next, about 10% of severe symptomatic patients develop post-acute, that means after the infection, or long COVID, and report symptoms that last for several weeks or months. This may also affect younger, and previously healthy people with a strong immune response to the new coronavirus. Next, the often shown exponential curves of coronavirus cases are misleading, as the number of tests also increased exponentially. In most countries, the ratio of positive tests to test overall, which is called the positivity rate, Always remain below 20%. In many countries, the infection peak was already reached well below the lockdown came into effect. In most COVID hotspots, including New York City, London, Stockholm, and Bergamo, the infection rate dropped as soon as about 20% of people had developed antibodies against the new coronavirus. And this value is much lower than initially was uh, estimated to be 60 to 80 percent. Here we're talking about herd immunity. Countries without lockdown such as Japan, Belarus, and Sweden have not experienced a more negative course of events than in other countries. In most COVID hotspots including New York City, London, and Stockholm, and Bergamo, The infection rate dropped as soon as about 20% of people had developed antibodies against the new coronavirus. And this herd immunity value is much lower than the initial estimate of 60 to 80%. Next, countries without lockdowns, such as Japan, Belarus, and Sweden, have not experienced a more negative course of events than many other countries. Sweden was even praised by WHO, and now benefits from higher immunity compared to lockdown countries. The fear of a shortage of ventilators was unjustified. According to lung specialists, evasive, invasive ventilation with intubation of COVID-19 patients, which was done primarily out of fear Of spreading the virus uh, is in fact counterproductive and damaging to the patient's lungs the main routes of transmission of the virus are direct contact and droplets produced when talking coughing or singing but also indoor aerosols which are small particles floating in the air the outdoor aerosols and surface objects appear to play only a minor role there is still little or no scientific evidence for the effectiveness of cloth face masks in the general population and the introduction of mandatory mask could not contain or slow the epidemic in most countries some experts warned that face masks may interfere with normal breathing and become germ carriers if used repeatedly. Many clinics in Europe and in the United States remain largely underutilized during lockdowns and in some cases had to send staff home. Millions of surgeries and therapies were canceled, including many cancer screening and organ transplants. Several media were caught trying to dramatize the situation in hospitals, sometimes even with manipulative images and videos. In general, the unprofessional reporting of many media maximized fear and panic in the population. As a result, according to international surveys, most people dramatically overestimate COVID-19 lethality and mortality. I'm talking about virus test kits, which uh, used internationally may in some cases produce false positives and false negative results, react to non infectious viral particles from a previous infection, or react with other common coronaviruses with partially similar gene sequence, which means that. If you get a positive test, you're not necessarily positive. Numerous international renowned experts in the field of virology, immunology, and epidemiology consider the measures taken to be counterproductive and recommend rapid natural immunization of the general population and protective risk groups. At no time was there a medical reason for closing elementary schools as the risk of disease and transmission in children is extremely low. There is also no medical reason for small classes, masks, or social distancing rules in elementary schools. Several medical experts describe express coronavirus vaccines as unnecessary and even dangerous. You know, the push that we've got to get something out as quickly as possible right indeed vaccine against the so-called swine flu of 2009 for example led to cases of severe neurological damage and lawsuits in the millions in the testing of the new coronavirus vaccines too serious complications and failures have already been reported so what does that mean the faster you press to get something out, the greater the likelihood that it's gonna be dangerous to you. A global respiratory disease pandemic can indeed extend over several seasons, but many studies of a quote, second wave are based on very unrealistic assumptions, uh, such as a constant risk of illness and death across all US nurses describe an oftentimes fatal medical mismanagement of COVID patients due to questionable financial incentive to doctors and hospitals, and inappropriate medical protocols. However, in many cases, COVID lethality has dropped significantly due to better treatment options. The number of people suffering from unemployment depression and the de- domestic violence as a result of the uh, measures has reached historic record levels several experts predict that the measures will claim far more lives than the virus itself according to the un 1.6 billion and that means 1.6 thousand million people around the world are at Immediate risk of losing their livelihood and when they lose their livelihood the suicide rate goes up Whistleblower Edward Snowden warned that the corona crisis May be used for the permanent expansion of global surveillance In several parts of the world the population is being monitored by drones and facing serious police overreach during lockdowns. A 2019 WHO study on measures against pandemic influenza found that from a medical perspective, contract tracing is not recommended in any circumstances. Nevertheless, contract tracing apps have already become partially mandatory in several countries. And finally, the origin of the new coronavirus remains unknown, but the best evidence currently points to a COVID-like pneumonia incident in a Chinese mine in 2012, the viral samples of which were collected, stored, and examined at the Wuhan Institute of Virology from where this COVID crisis began. And those are some of the uh, facts just below the surface that uh, that I wanted to share with you today. So it's it's my pleasure to bring you this information. You can search it out uh, and fact check it, but realize that a lot of the fact checking places are controlled by interests that don't necessarily give you the truth and. um, Uh, Go to my podcast, which is www.freedomfromaddiction.libsyn.com. Spell Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. No spaces, no capitals. And get my free podcast, which will keep you up to date. Subscribe to it so that you can get the latest on what's happening on the coronavirus uh, front. And we're going to give you starting Uh, later this week, exciting new information on a different way of possibly treating the coronavirus. And uh, that's going to be something that everybody wants to listen to.
0: All right. Wow. A lot of great information and really have to pack, pack it in and take a look at all the different things involved. That's out there. It just makes it concerned that if we are certain countries in the world still, um when are trying to shut down the country again, other countries in the world are shutting down again, so interesting that you bring up that it's better to keep the country open and test more and and protect in social distancing in certain areas than keep the country closed, which again is happening all over the world again it's happening in other countries yeah.
4: Yeah, because Sweden didn't lock down, and they've got a better success rate than the countries that locked down. So why should you do it and jeopardize your economy, send everybody home so that you can increase your suicide rate? It doesn't make sense.
0: Makes no sense at all. All right. Well, uh, we've definitely got to check the great information they win, and I appreciate you coming by. Thanks, Nick. All right, guys, that was Freedom from Addiction. Truth just below the surface here on the Neil Haley Network uh, and Neil Haley Show.
1: Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money.
3: Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today.
0: We're back to the Neil Haley show, and I'm really excited about this guest because this guest is kind of going to really explain what songwriting's about i talked about before in different episodes and different things how i covered songland and talked to other songwriters of celebrity songwriters to people who just write songs and in the process but this guy knows exactly the process so i'm excited to work with um, billy sideman billy thanks for calling author of elements of song craft how are you billy
5: I'm Will Neil. Wonderful to uh, to be with you. Thanks for inviting me on the show today.
0: Absolutely. Let's kind of go right and break down. Give me your background as a in in music. Sure. That.
5: Well, I started off as a New York session guitar player, and uh, fortunate to get signed to RCA Records uh, publishing firm when I was uh, 20, and worked with artists such as Irene Cara, Vicky Sue Robinson. Uh, Evelyn Champagne King, back in the day, uh, you know, played on Broadway and uh, went on the road with Asher and Simpson, and so basically, New York was a wonderful hotbed of of talent and uh, dreams. And I uh, was fortunate to be a part of that and to grow my skill set there.
0: So very interesting. You talk about so you were on Broadway, involved in a lot of stuff in Broadway in New York.
5: Yeah, well, I played guitar. I was in the, I was a session musician, and so I'd play uh, guitar at different shows. Um, and as I said, went out on the road with Asher and Simpson. But in New York at that time, there were so many sessions, and uh, you know, a really vibrant life for uh, for people to learn their trade and learn how to be a songwriter. And I was fortunate enough to get uh, uh, picked up by RCA and uh, really learned my craft. And uh, uh, but interestingly, it was years later when I moved to Nashville, about '95, that I really started to learn some things that I. I should have known or i uh but I was just kind of blown away by what was going on in nashville and and the depth and the quality of the writing uh of uh, the writers in Nashville, which is no secret to anybody who's been paying attention for you know for eighty years um, but again, I was uh so impressed with the the skill of the writers there that I really started it became my passion to kind of figure out well what was driving why is, was it that after You know, 10 seconds of listening, my life was in the balance. My heartache and joy were pouring out of me listening to these new heroes of mine down in Nashville. And what I discovered was uh, the reason the songs were so good is that they really knew what they were writing about. They, They understood the core emotion at the heart of each song, and they built those songs to last based on the emotions. And then maybe a dozen or more so craft skills that they've been using, and that I'd say the best writers in the world have been using for a few hundred years perhaps even back to obviously librettists and operas and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, middle ages. So, uh, I've tried to put it all together in my book, the elements of Songcraft*. I don't know where it's shown up, but there we go. Yeah. Um, and, um, so, um, you know, it's really a manifesto for writers, young developing writers to get organized around the tools that the best songwriters today and the best songwriters historically have been using to win mass audiences for their music.
0: So the art of, a, of songwriting, there's a specific way of writing. And I think, it, it, I guess, in any type of writing, you have to think, you have to brainstorm. You can't just go out and write something. You can start putting things together, but there has to be a process if you're going to be a successful songwriter.
5: I think so. I mean, I think every major songwriter who has success has developed their own process. You know, they they have their songwriting heroes. They've studied their methods. They've uh, they follow the rules. They've broken the real rules, and they they find their own unique vocabulary to write songs. And uh, and I'd say one of the big um, differences between a, a very um, a seasoned songwriter and a developing songwriter is that the seasoned songwriter has basically built in songwriting athletic body and mind. They can basically sit in a room for four or five hours and focus on how to solve a musical problem or a lyrical problem to make the song seem effortless. You know, the, the goal in songwriting is to take all the thinking out of uh, the listener's ear and replace it with feeling. And how do you do that uh, for a three and a half minute song?
0: Yeah, you can't just go and bam, there, there it happens. You have to really think about it and certain things and stuff like that. So in the book, it kind of explains how you should write a song. Give me some, yeah. without giving away the whole book, give me some ideas yeah. that songwriters can figure out.
5: Well, I'm going to do something right now. I'm going to go back to my, my studio here for a minute. And uh, I'm just going to sh- share with your listeners one of the strategies that, um, that are in the book. And they'll, they're going to understand it immediately. Um, there's a strategy I call the problem-solution setup. So in many, many songs, and everybody kind of knows this information, but I'm going to frame it in a way that when you hear it in, in songs, you'll go like, oh, that's the problem-solution setup. The verse is the problem. Carole King's uh, You Got a Friend, great example. When you're down in trouble and you need some love and care And nothing, nothing's going
2: right
0: Billy, I lost you.
5: Yeah, you lost me.
0: Yeah, go ahead, go back there. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Anyway,
5: okay, I'm sorry about that. But uh, yeah. the the point is, is that you the verse is the problem when the skies above you are dark, and and then the chorus is the solution. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. So that's one of the uh, the the beautiful thing about that. Uh, technique or strategy is that you don't have to guess where your uh, verse is going to go your second verse it's going to get dark again when the skies above you are dark and full of clouds so you know you're going to go back to the problem for a verse and you're going to go to the solution in the course so that's one minor um, strategy in the book that's uh, you know again what we're doing in songwriting is we're trying to have all these distinctions to basically guide our emotions our human heart to explain an event you know, you write a song because something happened, and you're interested, in, or you need to uh, express it.
0: The problem solution. So it's just like telling a story. Songwriting is telling a story. If you're not telling a story in songwriting, you're not. You're, it's not. People aren't going to get the song.
5: Well, that's that's certainly true. Uh, but it's just like any any literary form. You have got a hero. You've got a villain. You've got uh, a you know. you you've got um, a beginning, middle, and an end. Uh, you've got good and bad. You're basically looking how do you, how do you make contrast a part of your the fabric of you writing songs so the audience quote unquote can see their life in it. If you're not communicating to the audience what kind of song they're listening to. Why are they, you know, songs are like trains. Uh, they don't go roaming around the countryside. They've got tracks, they're laid down, they're going to a destination. The audience will get on that train if they know where the destination is. Is that? Is it that destination uh, a, a new love song? Is it a breakup song? Is it a song of reassurance? So I've gotten organized around training people to write songs based on what I call creative GPS, which is four vectors of knowing um, Four pieces of information. Your intention. What do you want to have happen by writing that song? Uh, Core emotion. What emotion is the song typically written on, which is kind of your basic emotions. Joy, hope, loss, grief, regret. Uh, Swagger is a big one for attitude songs, party songs, celebration songs. Um, and then uh song category. Is it a breakup song? Is it a makeup song? And then finally what I call the fourth vector is audience tracking. What craft tools are you using to make sure the audience stays on that train, stays in that song with you to see their life in it for three and a half minutes?
0: How challenging is it to have the right to get the right song that the audience likes? Especially when there's so many songs out there.
5: That's a great question, Neil. And what I'd say is is that you've got to figure out how to marry surprise to familiarity there's so many songs out there that if you can't find a surprising way uh i was listening to a brad paisley song the other day and, and i think the title is uh, uh there's no eye in beer you know so it's a you know, it's, it's it's a team effort you know so let's you know it's a drinking song you know they're drinking they've been writing yeah. drinking, drinking songs have been written for hundreds and hundreds of years and you know so the inventiveness of of, of figuring that out um is a good example of uh writing songs that have um, that combination of surprise and familiarity.
0: And then, yeah, it's interesting when you go through that process. I had someone on from The Bachelor that's a singer now, and she talked about she wrote her song in a Uber when she was mad at her boyfriend And just wrote it in seconds, just like on a piece of paper, and then there you go, and then it became a song. But it depends who the person is too, right? And that helps in the process. So if they're the, do you think the singer and songwriter need to marry together, or do you think there's definitely place for lots of just songwriters that don't have that are not sing, that are not performing?
5: Well, that used to be the case of you know, I I love singing and I, you know, and I'm, I'm an okay singer, but I work with some of the best singers in the world. So I'm looking for them to deliver the beautiful sonics of what they can, the sound of their voice and the range of that they have. Um, I think it's uh, um, in maybe some respects much more difficult today for a pure songwriter to find commercial success. Um, But then again, uh, songs are typically written in the pop format of uh, you know three four five writers are on them so someone in that wow. wolf pack is going to be you know have the right voice to uh deliver the song so i appreciate you coming by billy thank you so much great to be here neil Take stay care. well Are right, you too bye-bye. bye-bye
0: you're watching and listening to neil Haley show and we'll be back in just a moment